What defines greatness? It probably varies for person to person and perhaps from occupation to occupation, and yet it's something that we're always striving for, that we all want to achieve greatness. I know speaking back to my time as a musician, I was always looking for the different elements that would make me an organist full of greatness. That I would go and I would start to learn the fundamentals, how to play the keyboard, how to play the pedal board, how to register the organ, how to do all of these different things, and even to grow in enough confidence to be able to play. And yet, I was always searching for that greatness. And indeed, I dare say that each and every one of us do that in our own way. That we're looking for what makes us stand out. We're looking for that splendor, that sort of idea that we stand out above the rest, or that we've truly accomplished something great, and thus we've accomplished greatness. And that probably is true for each and every one of us, but what about when it comes to our life of faith? Are we called to a life of greatness? Are we called to live out our faith well? Are we called to truly stand out above the rest? And what does that look like for a Christian in a life of faith? To start to answer that question, we need to start with the Acts of the Apostles this morning. We've been following this book for the last several weeks, and yet we continue to see uh, this developing message that the church is thriving at the time. Because if you remember to last week, we heard about how all of those disciples were formed that day, about how there were 3,000 that came into unity with the church. And so, at the simple behest of Peter, when he said, repent and believe in the gospel, 3,000 joined that day. That's truly something that's monumental, because it's something that almost seems unheard of. And yet, in the church at that time, that's what is occurring. But now they're starting to encounter logistical problems, because they start to realize that the crowd and the congregation is so large that they can no longer take care of it themselves. And so they start to collectively think, what are we supposed to do? And they start to go after seeking for seven reputable men, seven men filled with the Spirit and with wisdom, that they're going to send forward, they're going to assist them in this task. And so they call out seven different people by name, and they, are, they have hands laid upon them, and they're sent out. And indeed, that's successful because we hear that the church continues to exponentially grow, that in fact, they continue, even in this time, to flourish and to know success at this point. And it's all about that greatness that they're encountering at that point. Then we move on and we hear St. Peter in his first letter. And he speaks about this living stone, the stone that is Jesus Christ himself. But not just any sort of stone, but in fact the cornerstone. He tells about how this living stone was set aside by humans, but instead, rather, whenever man rejected him, God chose him anyway. Then, in fact, he was that chosen instrument that gave us salvation, and that's what the very core of the message is that we celebrate every Easter. But nonetheless, we're continuing to celebrate that theme. But then the scriptures start to break open to us that this is the cornerstone. This is the one that was rejected by the builders, but this is the one chosen by God. And it's wonderful in our eyes that whoever trusts on this cornerstone shall not be put to shame. And indeed, that's a beautiful message. And even as we hear about the, what happens for those that do not accept this cornerstone, that this becomes a sort of stumbling block or something that is an obstacle to them, nonetheless, the idea is there that the cornerstone is to be sought after. But notice, the cornerstone isn't the only thing seeking. But in fact, the cornerstone is seeking us. Because we are the chosen nation, we are a royal priesthood, we are a holy people that God has selected as his own. And indeed, St. Peter is reminding all of those that are reading this letter that they are a chosen race, that they're a chosen people, that they're set apart and they're set to a purpose by God. 
And indeed, that's a beautiful message for them to encounter, something that they might often forget. But nonetheless, because of Jesus Christ, because of the Paschal mystery, they have been chosen and they've been selected. And then the final message comes this morning from the Gospel according to John. And we hear at the very beginning, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You have faith in God. Have faith also in me. And then Jesus starts to lay out all of these different points that he wishes to make. That the Father is preparing a dwelling place. That all are being welcomed and that the way is going to pave the way towards the kingdom of heaven. And indeed, this is a monumental thing. But notice the disciples are starting to struggle. That they hear this and Thomas starts, How are we supposed to know the way? And Jesus answers, well, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So indeed, Jesus is trying to paint out very clearly that the way that they access the kingdom of heaven is through him. But then he continues on, because eventually he starts to tell that he and the Father are one, and then Philip almost seems like he misses the point, because he starts off and he says, Lord, just show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And, Peter, and Jesus rebukes him in a way. Because he says, Have I been with you for so long a time and still you do not know me? I and the Father are one. And he establishes that several different times. But nonetheless, to continue in the final note that we end on with this gospel, that he tells that anyone that is united to Jesus Christ will do the works that he does and even greater ones than these. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that something monumental? Isn't that something that's almost unbelievable? That anyone who adheres to Jesus Christ, anyone who accepts him as Savior, anyone who continues to follow the gospel, can not only do the things that he did, but also do greater things than those. Isn't that something that's almost unbelievable? Because that's something that so often we hear in the scriptures, we kind of just let it fly by. But do you hear what he's saying? If we truly believe, if we truly adhere to Jesus Christ, if we know what he is saying, then in fact, he's going to give us success, and not just success, not just any level, but in fact, even greater. And isn't that profound? Truly, we're meant for something great. But what does that mean? Are we truly meant for greatness? Are we supposed to live life and live it excellently? Or are we supposed to live it as if it's just the mundane and just another day? I dare say the readings this morning, they actually give us a very beautiful perspective on why we're not only to live a mediocre life, but we're rather meant to live a life full of greatness, no matter the hand that we've been dealt, no matter where we are today, then in fact we're called to greatness. We start off with the first point that comes from the Acts of the Apostles. That we're told that those seven men that were chosen were chosen because they were men filled with the Spirit and they were filled with wisdom. But what if we're to be filled with that Spirit? What if we're the ones to be filled with that wisdom? What if we're the ones that are set apart for service to the gospel? Because my brothers and sisters, it isn't just about seven deacons so long ago. It's about each and every one of us. That in fact, we've been chosen. That we've been set apart too. That in fact, we're the ones that are to, supposed to receive that gift of God's spirit. How else could we be sitting here today? In fact, that's the message that we hear that we are being poured out an abundance of spirit upon each and every one of us. And that's the first gift that we need. That's the first sign that we're called to greatness. But then we continue on. Because in the gospel we hear that Jesus is encouraging the disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. You have faith in God. Have faith also in me. And that's the second element. It's faith. 
Because oftentimes we think about faith as a sort of response. It's something that we do. It's something that we pick up. It's something that we continue to actualize and maybe develop when we get the time. But faith isn't just that. But in fact, faith is a gift from God. It's something that's continually given to us. That the very fact that they could believe in God the Father at that point, that was a gift from God himself. And he's also encouraging them to believe in Jesus because they are the same. But nonetheless, that essential point that is right there, that is right in front of their eyes, that they've been given the gift of faith, and indeed, they are called to greatness because of that. That they're not only called to do just the simple things in life, they're not just called to do the same things that Jesus did, but they're called to do even greater things. Indeed, they're given the gift of faith. And we are given the same. That we're given that ability to believe in God in the good times, in the bad times, in the in-between times. And that's not just something that we develop on our own. That's not a skill that we can possess on our own initiative. But it's something that we have to gain from God. And it's something that he continues to give us each and every day, if we but ask for it. But truly, if we're given the gift of faith, we're given the call to greatness. And then finally, we get this message that comes from the second reading. That we hear about the cornerstone, we hear about the one that is chosen by God and set aside for a purpose to be the cornerstone of the entire structure so that everything can stand forward and everything can stand firm. But there's an essential point at the end. Because notice, the cornerstone is not the only one that's chosen, but it's each and every one of us. That we're the chosen race, we're the royal nation, we're the priesthood. That in fact, we are the people that are set apart by God, but nonetheless, we're the ones that are chosen. And that's the third point of greatness. Because, in fact, my brothers and sisters, it's not just that God calls us corporately to follow him. He does in a certain way, but that's not enough. That each and every one of us who hear this message, that hear the gospel, that hear Jesus Christ preaching and teaching to us, that, in fact, we're individually chosen. We're not indiscriminately chosen either. That we're chosen for our skill. We're chosen for our abilities. We're chosen for the lives that we can touch. We're chosen for our own time, our own place, wherever the Lord has seen fit to send us into the vineyard. That in fact, he has chosen us above all others. And in fact, because he has chosen us, he's chosen us not just for a mediocre life, but for greatness. And that in fact is an important reminder for us, my brothers and sisters. Because so often we can just get used to living life and letting live, or maybe we feel that God's kind of just put us in motion and kind of left us to be. But in fact, that's not true at all. Because we're the people that are chosen. We're the people that are supposed to be the people of faith. We're the people that are given the outpouring of the Spirit. Because our God wants to be in so much union with us, but because he wants us to be filled with greatness. He doesn't want us to have this mediocre faith life that's so-so and we kind of get to it when we get the chance. But in fact, he wants us to aspire for greatness. And it doesn't matter what circumstances are going on in your life right now. What is troubling your heart? What's on your mind? What's on your soul? All of these things we need to entrust to the Father because he wants to give us the ability to aspire for something great. And not just tomorrow, not just down the road, not even years from now, but right here, right now in the circumstances where you are, that he wants to give you the ability to be great, to aspire for something more, not just to have a faith life that's so-so, but to really see the ways that he's calling you forward to live that life of faith and to live that life of greatness. But are we so bold and so willing to go to that task? Because, my brothers and sisters, we live in a world that so often just kind of lets things go away. But God hasn't called us for that. Rather, he's called us to do the things that Jesus has done and to do even greater things. 
the question for each and every one of us to pray with and to consider as we hear about this call to greatness, as we hear about the ways that the Lord has entrusted to us all of these tasks and all of these duties, all of these different things that we can do with our life of faith, what is he calling you to do right here and right now? Where is our Lord calling you further into a life of greatness?